Right. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Gulf Intelligence Daily Energy Markets live video podcast on Friday, 28th of April 2023, at the end of a bad week for crude, the second bad week in a row. Rent this morning standing at around 78.7, a uh, smidgen up today, but down about 3.5% on the week, with all the pressure seemingly downwards. Uh, let me welcome back three old hands on the podcast show to discuss that and some other interesting things. Uh, first, uh, Rachel Ziemba, welcome back, founder of Ziemba Insights and adjunct senior fellow in the Energy, Economics and Security Program at the Center for a New American Security, uh, normally based in New York, but at the moment on the West Coast of the US. Uh, Mark Oswald. Uh, Chief Economist and Global Strategist at ADM Investor Services International uh, in London this time. He's always in a different place in my uh, experience, Mark, but he's in London now. Uh, and, uh, and Osama Rizvi, Energy and Economics Analyst at the Primary Vision Network in Lahore, Pakistan. Welcome, the three of you. Thanks for having us. Uh, let me start with you, Rachel. Uh, this week, as I said, uh, has seen pretty relentless downward pressure on Brent uh, and WTI. Uh, but I can't actually see how this week was hugely different from from the previous week or indeed the week before that. Uh, there were there was no big economic or financial shocks, no new data apart from a slightly disappointing Q1 US growth figures came out last night. But it seems just to have been a steady piling on of recession fears, demand worries, concerns about oversupply, maybe. What do you think? What's what's the reason for this slow decline of crude? Sure. So I think this this story this week was about crude being infected by global liquidity, global financial news. And sitting here in the U.S., I think the big story was not only this sort of growth story that, that is mixed, uh, but really these renewed worries about financial stress uh, around First Republic Bank and, and the like. Some of this in some ways is old news being revealed, right? Deposits continuing to flee, the fact that this has not been resolved. Um, I do think that what U.S. authorities have done has to reduce the acute risks that we were worried about some weeks ago. But I do think we're sort of in an environment where rising debt service costs and other financing costs are going to mean sort of weaker uh, weaker U.S. growth. I also think in the U.S. context, there's also this looming worries about the debt ceiling. Will there be a default and the like? Now that is far from priced in. Um, but I think this is, but this is really a story of global financial worries infecting the oil market. We saw um, equity markets down again on on average a modest amount. Um, but some real sort of sell-offs in, in parts of the financials. And I think just really this question mark of exactly how strong is Chinese demand. Um, so all in all, it adds up to, um, you know, not, not that different a macro environment, uh, but there's this sort of question mark ahead of, you know, is, is the economic weakness going to be enough to make the Fed stay its hand? I'm still not sure that that's the case. And so I think that, that that means the focus on the financial side as opposed to uh, the underlying sort of growth and the fact that the demand is still relatively robust. Right. Uh, interesting. Uh, financial seems to be the main concern uh, rather than global macroeconomic for a change. 
but you mentioned China there. Uh, and let me go to Mark, uh, because I know that you have uh, a good take on these things. Mark, what is driving it down? Uh, in, and in, in particular, how big a factor uh, is China in all this? Uh, are worries about Chinese growth the main reason behind the fall? Or is it the other factors that uh, Rachel highlighted there? Uh, finance, economics, what do you think? Um, I think part of it is actually just purely a perspective thing. Um, in other words, there were a lot of very overblown expectations about ch what China would do this year. It's improving. Yeah. It's going to be slow. It's going to be, you know, not what people want. This is really what we're, we're you know, boiling down to. People want to see wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, from China. <laughs> they want to see all that strong demand in terms of, energy and commodity imports and it's it was never going to happen that way you know china has set out its stall um whether it achieves it is a completely different thing um but it set out its stall it wants to have much more uh you know um domestic production and uh we know that the consumer in china um is still uh, you know uh bearing the scars of the property debacle um, elsewhere, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, you know, we went through the SVB and Signature Bank um, collapses, and then everything seemed to calm down as we went through the end of Q1, uh, and then we got into Easter, and so we forgot about everything. And then suddenly, First Republic Bank comes back to haunt us. Um, you know, these, you know. It's one of those things where you say, right, do we have a financial crisis in the way that we did in 2008-9? No, we definitely don't. Uh, do we have um, a saving, uh, an SNL crisis um, as per two, uh, 1985 to 1995? Probably, yes. It's not quite as acute, but First Republic Bank is very much different in... in um, relative to SVB, because SVB was just appalling risk management. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, I would say, to a certain extent, First Republic Bank is uh, race to the bottom. Let's give lots of um, interest, uh, interest rate only mortgages to very rich people in California. And guess what? Yeah, the tech sector is not doing so well anymore. A lot of those rich people, supposedly, um, yeah. on paper, are not doing so well anymore. And they've got interest-only interest mortgages. Are those going to be repaid? You know, it's a regulatory thing. So we're, we're in a difficult environment. I, I you know, 100% agree. The oil market is basically just uh, attending to the noise that is there in terms of the financial sector. I think overall, we're still in very much the same place. No one really knows what's going to happen next. And I, right. would, you know, I, yeah. I don't know either. Right. Uh, 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 Rachel, just, just, just a quick one back to you. Are there any other names out there apart from First Republic, um, you know, that might be on the risky list now? Um. Not, I mean, they're, 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 they're names people are watching. I think the thing I'm worrying about is that not only the rich people in California is this an issue, but I think the banking system as a whole in the U.S. Uh, maybe has already become a little more picky about what loans they're doing. I mean, maybe not before time. And to some extent, I think just this worry of um, you know, sort of, you know, we should have expected that when Fed rates went to zero up to 
you know, sort of so quickly that that would have a meaningful impact on, on debt service costs and just sort of feed through into the economy. The challenge is, of course, that uh, price pressures haven't fully gone away and those competing dynamics. So I think overall in the banking system, the fact that both there's been a flood from smaller banks of deposits from smaller banks, the larger ones, but also invest, uh, in investors and others, including myself, taking advantage maybe of high interest, uh, you know, options and pulling out of other things. I think this is something the banking system is still digesting and we're okay. seeing that elsewhere. Okay. Uh, Osama, uh, you're closer to the uh, the action as regards uh, uh, China and Asia, where you are. Uh, you know what what's what's your viewpoint? I mean, especially on the China issue. Um, you know how how do you see Chinese demand panning out for the rest of the year? Sure. Uh, if you allow me, I'd also want to just add a few words into the previous question. By all means, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. So I I believe well. There has been, if you look in real terms, there has been a 30% fall in oil prices um, the same month, if you compare to the last year. And I believe what happened this week, There, nothing special happened this week, of course, apart from some economic data coming out. But I believe this is a reaction which is reminded every time, every now and then to the investors, to the speculators, that there is an underlying weakness or a slowdown in the global economy. Um, and to and to see this, you have to you know go out of the oil markets and look at other indicators. For instance, I just did a post on LinkedIn about the world trade um, uh, merchandise trade, which fell about 0.9 percent recently. Um, uh, cargo at London fell about nine percent. Uh, the global freight volumes fell the fastest in the past 30 years. That even the, only this news item speaks a lot about where the global economy is standing at the moment. You look at the ISM indices in the US, you look at the BMI indices, manufacturing especially, uh, all of them are trending downwards while the inventory sentiment index or the leading economic index recently by the Chicago Board of Con Board Conference, all of them, they highlight, they give one message that there is an underlying weakness in the global economy. On the other hand, I believe that oil prices were, they had a bit of over-representativeness of um, uh, and um, uh, unreal expectation of a demand uh, surge from China okay. and right. uh, from global e economic recovery. But when you look at the fundamentals, if you look at the physical markets instead of the paper markets, there wasn't any uh, surge in demand instead. And there wasn't any supply concerns as well. Uh, that is why the OPEC plus decision was uh, quite wise in its uh, timing. We see that the seaborne uh, oil loadings from Russian ports are at their multi-month high. Um, everything is going fine. Uh, coming to China now, when we speak about oil demand, China's uh, imports have risen, oil imports have risen, but so has their exports. And there was a very interesting article by Clyde Russell and Reuters. I follow that him, um, you know, weekly because he has this wonderful insights, and he does this calculation yeah. and that yeah, that calculation. Yeah, that calculation shows that more um, oil is now going into the inventories, despite China buying more. And um, the exports are higher. It means the domestic demand is not as high as it was expected to be. Um, so and in the coming months, we also can expect China to tap into the inventories instead of buying more oil from the markets. Oh, yes. so all, <laughs> yeah, so all of this, I believe, points out, and I've been bearish on oil from the past few months or something. I, I believe, I, I keep saying this, that the chances of oil uh, prices hitting 
maybe 65 or falling below 70 are way more than it climbing back to 100. Of course, any geopolitical flashpoint can take it back there, but that might be temporary. So that okay. is why I believe there has been a, 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 you know, a sell-off in oil prices recently. I keep hearing it said that there is lots of oil in the world. Uh, and I guess we're going to find out in the next few weeks whether that's true. Uh, the uh, Sorry, stay on this uh, uh, supply and demand subject uh, for a moment. Uh, in early June, June the 4th, I believe, is the next full uh, ministerial meeting of OPEC+. Plus. Uh, the next, they have shown in the past, of course, that they can act outside these windows. Uh, most recently in the the, uh, the big cut in early April. Uh, but that's the next chance for them to do something in a concerted, cohesive way. Uh, very quickly, the three of you, will they cut in June or will they cut before? Just a real quick run around the room here. Rachel? Um, so I think we're still waiting to see some countries, and I think Russia, Osama already highlighted as the one we're sort of watching, see whether they actually cut as they've already pre-announced they will. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we might see a little bit of that. Um, you know, I think if the, I think they, they might cut a bit, a, a bit more, but I think ultimately this is going to be a story of actually committing to uh, the cuts they've they've already done, and I do think the big thing out there. I know that. Sorry, this wasn't this wasn't as quick a fire round as as supposed to be. But this real question of um, the burden sharing within the sort of countries that can cut um, yeah. is is yeah. going to come into question, and, and Russia is going to be very much in the frame. Yeah. And that's that 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 is the big thing I'm I'm watching. Okay, Mark. Uh, we'll I, I, I think I think they'll you. stand pat. To be honest. Um, um, I, I still feel that the you know we, we are going gloom and doom on the global economy. Um, our, our problem is our narrative. We keep on swinging the narrative between it's fantastic and it's um, you know it's doom you know uh, doom and gloom. The problem is what we are is in you know a, a sluggish global economy. Um, Asia is actually picking up nicely. And that's probably the most important thing for the oil market, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. And that Asian demand will start to pick up as we go through. You know, China's part of a bigger Asia story. And I think that's probably the most important aspect for OPEC. And for that reason, I, I, I think they'll just stand pat. They've done enough. And um, as Rachel was saying, you know, it, it is what it boils down to. Um, people need to commit to the cuts that they've made beyond the fact that there are a lot of countries which actually can't even meet their production quotas. Okay, let's see what uh, prices do ahead of June, because that would probably be a determining factor in whatever action they take then. Uh, uh, but Osama, let me go back to you, please, because uh, uh, Rachel touched on Russia, uh, and uh, I read this morning that, uh, uh, that the Pakistan Prime Minister, Shehbaz Sharif, said that the country was all set to get its first uh, shipments of Russian oil discounted, of course. Uh, talk us through that and tell us how much more Russian oil is Pakistan likely to buy? Um, that's I, I still have my doubts regarding the materialization of this development. Um, because there <laughs> are many... Cargo, <laughs> you mean? <laughs> cargo? Of the cargo, yes. I, I, yeah. until, unless I see it coming, it is docked, I, I wouldn't believe it. And uh, the, there are... There are different reasons why, because first of all, uh, there is a huge and very serious sort of diplomatic navigation to all of this. 
Although recently, um, someone from the government said that uh, they have done this in collaboration or the U.S. had knowledge of this. So they sort of sought permission from them. But still, so the amount of oil um, that the Pakistani government aims to buy from Russia is about 100,000 barrels per day. Um, Pakistan's daily energy demand is about 500,000 barrels per day. And we have imported about 156,000 uh, barrels in the past year, uh, average on average. So we're talking about, and most of it was from two vendors, UAE and Saudi Arabia. So hypothetically, if we um, start buying uh, Russian oil to the tune of 100,000 barrels, we are saying that we wouldn't be buying uh, oil from the uh, countries that do not only give us oil, but also give us deferred oil payments that also park their dollars uh, in Pakistan's national exchequer and when there is need as it is now. So there are lots of different things. I don't, I don't, I cannot wrap my head around how are they going to manage Saudi Arabia and UAE, both of them, in terms of the diplomatic side of it. Furthermore, uh, the refinery capacity here isn't, because there was a study done recently, and only five months ago, none of the refineries uh, said that they are able to refine the heavy-grade Russian oil because our refineries have been tuned according to the different oil, you know, the, the Middle Eastern oil. And now, uh, all of a sudden, I never read about any, uh, there weren't any developments in terms of that the refinery capacities have been enhanced or anything have been added. And now they say that there is one refinery that would refine the oil. So that is also another thing. Furthermore, it will cost us more uh, in terms of freight costs. I've highlighted this uh, many times before as well. So... We'll see. We'll wait and see. But I think okay. maybe we'll, uh, notice of skepticism there on yeah, this, yeah. on this cargo for sure. And of course, and of course, the price as well. They say that the deal is to be done uh, near fifty or fifty-five, but no further details have been uh, made public. So I don't know if it is above the price cap or if it is below the price cap. That's another thing that we need to know. Well, that's below, of course, but, uh, yeah. but that's mm -hmm. a bigger discount than uh, 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 yeah. most. Well, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to stay on Russia again uh, 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 for a moment, and and Rachel uh, uh, to put this question to you, uh, because it seems uh, increasingly that Western sanctions aren't having as much effect as was hoped in the West at the outset. Uh, for example, remember when the IEA said that Russia was going to lose three million barrels a day? Well, nowhere near that. Now, uh, uh, much of the pressure and inspiration for these sanctions and the price capping came from the US. Uh, and I'm beginning to wonder if there's any uh, body of opinion there in Washington uh, that these have backfired and should be rethought. What What do you think? So I, I don't know that there, I, I don't know that people think they've, they've backfired. Um, I think in some ways, this is part of the point Mark was making earlier about expectations and reality and what people were expecting from a political perspective. The other one on the energy side, really nothing that was at all tough on Russia on, on sort of current energy production, current energy flows came in until the EU embargo in, in December. And then the price cap in a sense was designed to blunt that, right? To keep the oil flowing to the global market. So the evidence I see is yes, Russian oil revenues are down. 
Russian mm. gas revenues are down because they're they decided to cut, which is a bit of a different story. Um, you know, this is the big question in some ways about whether both Russia and OPEC will sort of adjust supply and whether that will allow Russian blends to sort of increase in price. Um, but I do think this this secondary goal, this dual mandate in a sense of the price cap coalition of keeping the oil flowing, like that's clearly worked. And that's probably worked a bit better than cutting revenues. And the other piece, of course, that's changed is some of the nature of who provides services to, to Russia, to sort of that part of the global oil markets. And I think that's something that may have backfired to some extent. Western okay. services are still being used, but if we look out over the coming years, there's some more um, players. And my apologies, there seems to be some very weird loud noises outside my window that I hope you guys can't hear. Well, it's party time where you are, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> or some sort of weird accident outside the window. Who knows? Okay. I'll, I'll report back. Uh, we can't hear anything. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh, Mark, let, let me put a similar question to you from a European point of view. You know, so, some of the sort of loony right in Europe uh, have, have never really wholeheartedly supported uh, uh, the uh, uh, actions against Russia, Hungary, I'm thinking. Uh, is, is there any sense that people's uh, opinion is changing in Europe about sanctions against Russia? Um, I think there are divisions opening up and as there are divisions opening up about support for the Ukraine, um, there was always going to be a very diversified body of opinion. That's nothing new, really. I mean, that is that is the EU. It struggles as it is with the energy transition to, to come with the unified voice was at some stage. A, another country, typically at the moment, it happens, the awkward squad happened to be centred around Poland and Hungary, um, but it's not only them. Um, Germany and Italy are definitely uh, at loggerheads with France. Um, so um, I, I think for the moment, uh, my biggest worry for Europe in terms of energy, be that with oil, be that with gas, is there is a huge amount of complacency. You know, they've got through the winter. They 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 yeah. think their strategy worked, and to be honest, as with a lot, uh, particularly in metals and energy, um, uh, all I'm looking at is the fact is global inventories have been run down into the ground. Uh, we supposedly have huge demand because of the energy transition for quite a lot of things, and we are just one supply shock away from another spike. So uh, Europe is, I think, feeling quite smug, um, but um, and is also feeling quite smug about the fact that actually energy consumption has been reduced uh, over the winter. But that's actually a function of the weather. That's also true in the United States. Mm -hmm. and, um, so there is a, quite a lot of smugness and people are quite happy to a certain extent that the you know, energy prices aren't creating the same sort of problems in inflation terms, which is the most important thing for everybody. But um, I, <laughs> I think, still think that anyone relying on what we've got, at, you know, as our status quo at the moment, uh, still being the case in three, right. six, nine months time, not necessarily a good idea. OK, uh, interesting. Smugness rather than uh, um, political reaction. Um, interesting. Uh, 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 just something that, that has appeared on the Digest this morning. There was this issue uh, of a, uh, a tanker 
uh, in the Gulf here that have been seized by uh, Iranian naval forces. Uh, the details are a little bit fuzzy. Uh, 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 but Rachel, just very quickly, why do you think the Iranians would want to ratchet up these kind of tensions now? They're in the middle of a peace deal, peace talks with Saudi Arabia. Uh, what, why do this now? Well, I still think there's a question how much things like that are essentially controlled versus opportunistic. Um, so we'll see we'll see what the deals are. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about different actors in, in the IRGC and other sort of contexts. So the deals are um, the other is just that this is some of the things that happen when there are, um, you know, sort of when there are sort of sanctions, when the oil is sort of under the radar, there's there's a lot of um, issues in that context. So I think we have to wait and see. There definitely is a lot of potential economic benefits from this rapprochement and, and ratcheting down of tensions. Uh, right. But these changes don't happen overnight. Right. Uh, Osama, just give me a quick take. It's a, this, uh, the, the, these are your neighbors in your part of the world. What what's the a quick take, please, on the Pakistani view of the Saudi Iran rapprochement? Uh, I think uh, Pakistan tends to stands to benefit a lot from such a development. Uh, we have a lot of energy projects. We have a lot of uh, other uh, projects, power generation projects that were uh, in limbo because of the you know rift between the countries. But now, as China has a sort of um, you know made this possible, we stand to benefit a lot. Although. We'll, time will tell how long this will go on. Right. OK, yeah. uh, let's go to the survey question, please, if we could pull that up, uh, because we've seen a revival, a resumption of the kind of uh, verbal spat between uh, uh, the IEA and OPEC, uh, Fatih Birol versus Haitham al uh this week uh, about the cuts and the, uh, the effect of the cuts. Uh, OPEC says that... Uh, uh, effectively, uh, other factors are the main reasons behind global inflation and economic risk. So the survey question that I would like you to respond to is as follows. The IEA says that OPEC plus cuts policy is inflationary and a risk to global economic health. OPEC says rising interest rates and the lack of energy investment are more serious threats. Who is right? And that's a sim simple one choice. <laughs> please right or wrong straightforward black or white response mark what do you think who who's who's right i'll i'll side with opec on this one um the upstream investment issue is a huge one and it doesn't just apply to the energy market um and the the iea seems to be rather more coming from um, I'd say an ESG standpoint, and as much as ESG is important, it needs to be managed properly. And I, I agree with OPEC on that front. If we don't manage this properly, we actually could create a huge inflation problem, um, but it's not actually coming from the demand side. Okay, thank you. Uh, Osama, what do you think? I agree with Mark and OPEC as well. Yeah, there is a huge issue in oil and gas investment and uh, being in a developing country, I believe there is, we will need more oil and gas. The world needs more oil and gas, along with the, the, the development in the energy transition and renewable energy. But yeah, so yeah, OPEC is right. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, Rachel, we have to have somebody to stick up with the good old IEA. Who, who uh, uh, will that be you? Um, not not exactly. I think there's also a time inconsistency sort of point here. I mean, the IEA sort of point, you know, very much echoing 
Um, I mean, it, you know, it goes back to what what scenarios they're that they're upholding. I I think the issue here is just that we need not only sort of OPEC to kind of be trying to think about and communicate short term kind of market dynamics and how they're balancing, but also what efforts are they really going to do and others going to do to deal with this, these investment gaps. And that's, again, where I think you get to the divergence within OPEC and OPEC plus. Some countries are doing that, others not able to uh, to, 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 to do that. Um, you know, but but I think, look, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bad blood, including on those estimates of how much Russian oil is going to come off the market. And that's why um, interesting to sort of hear what comes out of their sort of joint research sort of meetings on that dynamic. Do they paper that over um, and, and the like? Okay, but when uh, gas prices go up at the pumps, uh, nobody in the States will be blaming the IEA, will they? Uh, they, they will not. They, they will not be. They'll be blaming OPEC and uh, they'll be, you know, and I think, look, there is a there's a lot of issues that the U.S. is not sort of grappling with around permitting reform. And that's an issue not only for oil and gas, but also for critical minerals and other sort of elements of energy security, the green energy. And that's going to be something the uh, the administration is going to have to deal with in a way that's not uh um, hyper, you know, that, that, that is, uh, uh, is dealing with a, a political cycle, right? Uh, the election campaign has already started. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Sorry, we didn't have a chance to get around to that. Uh, I, would, I would love to uh, uh, grill next you on the election the next <laughs> time for sure. Uh, but the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the room uh, is of the same opinion as the panel we have today. 86% back OPEC in this and say that the IEA is wrong uh, to, uh, 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 to blame inflation on increasing oil prices. Uh, that's, that's an interesting outcome, I think. Um, or maybe <laughs> it shows just that we are all oil people rather than environmental people these days. Uh, but uh, we have reached the end. Um, I wanted to talk about the uh, the IMF visit to Dubai next week to give their uh, Middle East economic report, uh, which I'm told is going to be quite controversial. Uh, but uh, we've run out of time. So we'll we will talk about that next week, I hope. Uh, so to the three of you, uh, Rachel Ziemba, Mark Oswald, Osama Rizvi. Thank you very much indeed uh, for your time today uh, and hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much indeed. Goodbye.